What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of ELO Punters. My name is Otterog Das at UnzedMTG, joined today by co-host Daniel Goatschel, a.k.a. The Gooey at Gooey Ducat, and special guest, my boy, GP Seattle champion, was that the one? Jarvis at JKU06, Jarvis? That was five years ago, buddy. We, we can't cares? use that title you yeah, can but call it's still me. Great. You can call me Grand Prix Top Eight competitor in 2019 now. Nice GP competitor. Anu. No Top Eight competitor. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, I'm no, talking no, about no. myself. Oh, GP competitor. Anu. <laughs> and then wait, I'm the only non-GP champion in this in this in this thing. Yeah, I'm washed. Actually, I guess you can't be washed I if be you never really were. Yeah. I was going to say, you, you have to be before washed. Damn. Oh, God, the flame. How are you doing, Jarvis? How's your day? Daniel, how are you doing? I've Dude. been busy with work, and uh, now I'm here. Oh, nice. Wait, so, like, your work situation, you're just, like, working from home? Or, like, what's the yeah, deal? Yeah, all, all my work is computer work anyways, so. Nice. Are you, would you, okay, let me ask you a question. Would you prefer to continue working from home or do you feel like you benefit a lot from going into the office i want to do two-fifths three-fifths i think would be optimal two-fifths uh, wow. at home okay did you just have you thought about this or like yes, that's a pretty specific yes. split I thought, okay well there's also only five days in a work week on you <laughs> that's that's true there's monday <laughs> tuesday wednesday thursday and what was the last day i forgot the last day is on your streams day Oh my god. That's every day. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Yeah, Daniel, uh, how about you? What you been up to? Not much. Uh, you know, just hanging around, enjoying the air conditioner now that it's summer. Oh my god. Dude, tell me about it. It just randomly got so much hotter in San Diego that like I can barely like stay in my room with my computer without everything just feeling like an oven. Um, speaking of ovens, I got some cool news. Uh, like, it's just like I have my computer right here next to me and I think all the exhaust and the heat from that's coming out of it just like slaps onto my face and it just makes this room like artificially way more miserable than it already is. But my trusty dusty Honeywell fan keeps me cold and safe. So not an ad. Um, <laughs> that's great. Speaking of oven, my good news for you guys is uh, I was in the grocery store the other day and I found dino nuggets. Oh my god. I have been looking for these dino nuggets for months. Is it and because I finally you're a kid? Found them. What? Is it because you're a kid? No, I mean but they're they're dino nuggets, brother. What do you want? They're they're and I made them and I had like a T-Rex and then like the Stegosaurus and the T-Rex ate the ate the ever living life out of the Okay, all right, you get the idea. They're great. Um Maham enjoyed them too. I haven't really been up to much, but before I guess we get into the caster updates, let's start with the usual intro, the new spiel. Um, thank you to our new patrons, Sean, Nicholas, Nam, and Owen for joining. And I also want to say thank you to our editor, Ellie of the Veil. That's at Ellie of the Veil on Twitter. Um, Liz has been doing a great job. Uh, you guys already know. I mean, this is like what our 11th episode right now. So uh, thank you. Thank you, Liz, for all your hard work. I really, really do appreciate it. Um, in terms of patreon updates do we have any upcoming content that we're looking forward to daniel yeah i was gonna post some uh articles soon maybe in a couple weeks like theory articles uh nice. like i don't know like uh stuff like how to, how i approach like mulliganing or how, um like how would i say like 
how, how I approach like analyzing when you win or lose or stuff like this or like decision points in a game or stuff like this maybe but in a Interesting. few weeks maybe after the PT or maybe before it depending uh how much time you have yeah or I guess uh yeah stuff like this nice because I finally realized what I want to be doing I think I'm just going to be uploading a couple like videos of leagues uh, I think I might play some vintage because I've been playing a lot of vintage lately. I know Jarvis and I, we uh, canoodled a little bit on PO for the showcase that was this weekend. Um, and then also, what else? Oh, just like other decks. I think I think it's hard because I'm not going to say that I'm actually like married to the snow deck again. Um, I did play yesterday in the showcase challenge at the very last second. I was going to play Black Red Reanimator. Decided against it. And I had a reasonable run. I streamed the whole thing, um, and it was it was it was pretty fun. But I I don't know if this is like my like my one and done. And I think there's a lot of other stuff that I'd be interested in trying out in terms of just like content. So it'll be a bit more variety rather than like dedicated stuff, which I think is nice for the Patreon because like Bob is very like like Bob is very like I don't know into the zone and i feel like daniel you're pretty into the zone when it comes to like you play for like whatever event you've got coming up and so i'll be the, the perfect foil where i'll pretty much just like dance around like a fool with my little my hat in the uh yeah, yeah just, jarvis what what's up i was just gonna say yeah it's kind of hard to make like uh cyborg guys at this point because every deck's rotating every week so that's why i'm just gonna do more broad stuff until the meta Ooh. settles down a bit I that's mean, a good point. like every deck, for, you know, it's just so. That's why, yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree with that too. Um, that's one of the reasons why, like, I don't know, like making a sideboard guide is like it's cool and all, but it would be nice to have uh, a little bit of a small break, I guess, in between. I don't know. You're right. The formats are just moving around so fast that it doesn't yeah. even for can, legacy. Can I, I add one thing too? Yeah. Uh, for these open deck list tournaments, I think sideboard guides are a terrible way to approach it. Ooh. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so much depends on the exact breakdown of your deck versus your opponent's deck and mm -hmm. what you think your opponent's going to do. So su suppose, for the sake of argument, that you're like me and Daniel playing the RPT on Saturday, and your opponent has an unusual build of a known deck. Do you blindly follow your sideboard guy or deviate because you can adapt on the fly? And mm. that that's not just for RPT or whatever. All the Lotus Box tournaments are open deck list, and a lot of the MTG Melee tournaments are open deck list. So I think it's just kind of a different era of tournament, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Do we know? But uh, I would say I think some of it was useful because for the sideboard guys I was writing, I was writing for decks like Inverter, and I kind of like put down the logic. Like I'd be like, uh, I would side be like, I'm siding like this, and here's why. Like, I think you don't want to be combo focused because of this and that. And, but like, you have to adapt with uh, stuff like this. Like, when you play standard, it's like every day. Like, for example, to give an example in standard, the two popular decks right now are Jund Cat, which is like a Jund deck, and then there's like Teamer Reclamation. And the team and the Jund deck started playing all these Cinder Vines. So now the Teamer deck started playing like Disenchants in the sideboard to kill Cinder Vines. Yep. So now, like, the Jund decks can just. You know, remove their cinder vines, and now they can play something else. To like, so in standard, it's like always evolving like this, and you have to be aware of the open deck list and, and stuff like this. But yeah, yeah. yeah but well, well, we'll get to that later. But there's there's a lot of complicated interplay once you can see that your opponent has no cinder vines, uh, etc. Is it stuff like that? Yeah. It gets really complicated. 
a lot of the leveling i think like there there are different levels of level different types of leveling i guess because like it's kind of like what you're saying is like well in the dark like for me when i'm playing legacy i'm just like okay against delver like i know i don't want all my force of wills but like sometimes when i see like like multiple copies of winter orb and like multiple copies of new cards that are very hard to answer like clothis you know then i'll be like okay well this is an exception to the rule i gotta be more fluid so i'm gonna keep in it's that element of adaptability that a sideboard guide generally won't be able to capture all unless okay go ahead yeah what's up sorry i was just gonna say the ones i usually write like i i I don't just put like minus plus like i try and write here's my plan for the matchup and i usually put like a couple options like i'd be like these are like sort of the flex thoughts but yeah i can see cyborg guides are kind of tricky like that when when you use Mm -hmm. them because your opponent can always do different stuff but like for uh like i usually just try and put like here's my plan in the matchup and why i'm doing it and like here's what i consider but yeah you definitely have to consider for this stuff also, yeah. yeah, I had some interesting games because I played Delver in the showcase. We'll talk about it later. I played against Snow a few times. It was very, mm-hmm. I had some very weird post-board games, like three times in a row that got milled out, basically. It's pretty to, weird. To, to just put down a comment, a lot of that stuff actually happens a lot in sealed deck, where there's obviously no sideboard guide. Yeah. Is that what did you say? In sealed deck, like, think oh, about yeah, it. Yeah. A lot of the times, there's, like, a certain bomb you can't beat, and you really have to warp your deck to beat it, or creature sizing matters a lot, or stuff like that. So there's just a lot of things to consider. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like if you play a lot of sealed deck, you're able to adapt to other formats a lot faster as well. Yeah, well, sealed deck are pretty hard to cyborg because you have so many options, and you can like switch colors, or there's you have exactly. a lot of options. Exactly. I agree. And sometimes you have to um, adapt to how your opponent cyborgs too. Yes. So that that's a good point. Why why were we talking about this again? We were talking about open deck list team lotus box. Oh, that's what I wanted to talk about too, right? So yeah, in terms of like content coming up, in terms of other content, did you guys hear that SCG is doing um the SCG tour online now? Yeah, I I read about that. The it doesn't interest me too much because it's arena only. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you a boomer? (laughs) <laughs> yes, I am a boomer, in fact. Thank you for asking. But uh, I just don't have a lot of interest in playing standard or historic. Yeah, for, uh, so I was just thinking standard, like you were mentioning... I was just thinking that you were mentioning how it's like a new like era of tournaments and like even to the point where like SCG is picking it up. I kind of wonder if like that circuit will also be open because I know they said that they were partnering with MTG Melee to uh, to get this stuff like out the door. And I'm thinking that so I, it might I, also be like a... Uh, I already read their tournament structure. Uh, the oh, way yeah. it works is you basically have to forum an event to play their weekend qualifiers. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Or you can join like five events and do poorly in all of them and also be able to play their weekend qualifier. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I probably won't be playing and I probably won't be watching because pick a standard. But like, I, I do like that they are porting to to uh online and and i feel like there's a lot of room for like other people to do it too like i i'm very interested in seeing if there's ways for me to to uh to to transition to bigger online events so i guess this is where we'll transition to like just updates of what's going on with us and stuff like that so for me let's see like this weekend i played in the in the legacy showcase uh managed to barely top eight uh off breakers um, I lost to, I played five color snow, the abomination. And I, yes, I did have blood moon and yes, I did have back to basics. So yes, we can all cry together. Um, but yeah, I, I lost a DNT of all, of all decks, which is kind of weird. 
And then I also lost to uh, Hogak. Um, but you got both my opponents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dylan, Dylan yeah. died. Yeah. Just... Also in the Swiss. Sam Hardy oh, also lost to him. Who Sam lost was to him? playing. Sam was playing Aluren and lost to Dylan because we didn't force a little careful swing game one. Did you trick Sam Hardy into playing that deck? By the I way, I did not trick him. He started four zero in the tournament. Ooh! Oh wow! Okay, yeah. So that's what, my biggest what, nightmare with no. these long tournaments is like starting off really well and then dying. Uh, when you say oh, trick him, let me explain. He played three leagues and went four one in every league, and he was convinced the deck was at least good, if okay. not great. Yeah. So I didn't trick him. I just okay. sent okay, him a okay, deck okay, list, okay. and I, I told Factual. him why I thought it was good because I think it's it, it has a slight edge for snow decks, like mm. snow control decks. Yeah. You know, on your road, do you know how my standard showcase went? I started 3-0, went... and then I went 3-4. Oh, was... no. Yeah, I think I made some mistakes. I didn't know how to mulligan, really, because it was standard. Like, okay. I, I didn't know how to mulligan. I think that was cause some issues. My gosh, that's tough. I kept some tough. loose hands, let me just say that. Oh, my. I, I feel I feel sorry for Gooey. I, 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 uh... No, it wasn't bad. Like, I I, I kind of, uh, I was, maybe I was like, well, I, I, like, my losses were mostly because I wasn't sure how to mulligan or keep some hands, I think. Yeah. It wasn't like I got savagely owned, you know what I mean? Like like noob blasted by a Belcher by Garuda. <laughs> At least okay, so I mean I guess that, that means that like for the, the P upcoming PT there'll be like some improvement that you can do. Like I, I prefer it when it's like me making mistakes as opposed to my opponent just like drawing better than me because like at least then i can improve you know what i mean yeah, so there's well, sort of that, like, that, that to look forward to i didn't want to like analyze starting hands because when you're playing the cat of index it's kind of weird to like analyze like what it's like to to mulligan with these decks kind of like i mean i guess like i like the examples it was like one hand sort of had like two mayhem devils and two claim and two like steel stuff but no sack outlets so uh -huh. it was like kind of hard to analyze and then the other one had like a couple tap lands and only two lands but it like if it hit a third land it would be really good so it's kind of hard to like mulligan like knowing how good your hands are going to be when they mulligan and stuff like that it's kind of hard to analyze stuff like that this is where my uh lack of experience comes in because i'm just like nodding my head silently but i have no idea what like well i'm just saying like, it's hard to like when, when you have an opening hand like it can be kind of hard to know like how good it's going to be compared to how good it's going to be when you mulligan basically yeah, especially when you're playing standard and like you you're playing weird cards like Witches Oven and Cauldrons Familiar, right? So as of now, I am queued for the showcase. Daniel, you also top eighted, right? So you're queued as well. Yeah, let's just say it nice. got loose there. I barely got Aid. it at its place. It got there was some loose stuff happening. Good Don't job, dude. It. Whatever. Eighth place is good enough. That's all that matters. Um, I think that means there's at least nine players that'll be queued for the event as of now. Um. Uh, why nine? What is the so, who's the ninth? So actually, it's it, so I think the the ninth person is Marcus Ewald, who played in the last one. But some weird like technical issue happened, and like his deck list got submitted incorrectly. So, and Wizards gave him an invite into the next one. I think that that, that also happened for somebody else. Uh, going in. Oh, it it happened for God Godalicious, I think. Yeah, it happened for Godalicious yeah. as well online. So did High Tide all... make triple blue mana or something? Oh <laughs> no! Um, although he, Marcus has been playing a bunch of high tide with uh, what is it, Bosium Strip? Do you know what that card is, Jarvis? Yeah, I do. It's it's an old card. It used to be, it was sometimes played in spell combo decks. Essentially, yeah, it's like three mana artifact, and you can pay three mana and tap it, and then like cast the top card of your graveyard if it's an instant or sorcery until the end of your turn or something. Yeah. So funnily enough, if you have that 
and turnabouts and like candelabra, you can basically like do a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Because you can I use turnabout mentioned... to well, you can use turnabout to untap your bosium strip and your and your ca- candelabra. Ooh, okay. He um, also mentioned that he had like intuition too, so he just like stacked the top of his graveyard with a bunch of spells and then just like pop off. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. What I wanted to talk about though was right, like we're talking about like how we're porting over. We're seeing a lot of places port over to online play, and I think that's really cool. A in terms of accessibility during like this whole COVID era that we're in, but also just in terms of like the future, right? Like I don't think these online tournaments necessarily need to go anywhere because they're just so easily accessible. Um, so for that reason, it's also just like I'm. I, I also wonder what it's like if I could host a tournament too, just you know for 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 legacy, uh, you know, give some love to the community that way. I had an idea that I wanted to talk about, and that was sort of a and, and this is kind of a sensitive area, so I want like you guys to both give me your honest opinions um but like a quote custom ban list tournament uh and right now i'm gonna just shoot this out there i'm I'm torn with between two options of custom ban lists um the first is like cutting uh banning astrolabe veil and then the second is banning Ashley, Vale, Oko, Dreadhorde Arcanist, Karn, and Teferi so one is like a minimal ban list and one is like a much bigger ban list what do you guys think about this, and what do you think the like the pros and cons of doing something like this? Is it worth pursuing? So let, well, let me clarify your position. Is that are those the only cards on the ban list? Or are you unbanning everything else? In addition to the current ban list, I would also be okay. banning these cards. So I kind of think custom ban lists are very dangerous, mostly because it's pretty subjective what people don't want to play with and against, right? Hmm. Okay. I mean that that's reasonable. I actually I actually had this thought too. And so I ultimately realized that like my goal with this would be less about like creating a format that people are happy with and more like seeing getting a glimpse into what this specific format would look like. Because you know how like on Twitter and Reddit and all these sort of like social media places, people are just like, Oh, I'm so sick of Astrolabe. Oh, I'm so sick of Oko and okay. obviously Veil well, as well. So look let me counterbalance that point. Do you think one tournament is enough to see what the format actually looks like because hmm. my argument it would be you you need like five or six tournaments to actually see yeah, what yeah absolutely like. not i don't think i'd be interested in deriving all these conclusions off of one tournament i think it would just still be like like an a fun instance to like see um at least to because the thing is is like you probably need more you definitely need more data but like even a player like you or even a player like me like we don't even a player like daniel maybe not bob bob might need some more practice but like we could like wow. <laughs> look at things and just get an idea of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we don't. We would obviously want more data to like be very, very positive about our idea. But like, even getting a glimpse of what it's like might give us like a an idea, like of or like a hunch to pursue. And I think I don't want any more than that. I don't expect any action to be had about that. It'd be really interesting if, for example, like when once we ban like you know uh, Ashley and Veil, vale, that like Rug Delver becomes a tier zero deck because it's got everything, and then it also has Oko, which is still too busted. You know what I mean? Like those those sort of weird things. Like right. like and obviously ban Oko. Yeah, exactly. Then that's what I'm trying to say. So well, so let let's see what uh, Daniel thinks real quick. Yeah. So what was your small ban list again? It's just. Laban Vale. Oh, and the big ban list is like Karn and Narset? Uh, Karn, Dreadhorde, Oko Vale, Lab, and Teferi. So is Dreadhorde like, yeah, we, yeah, it makes sense. Like, you don't, it kind of makes games in kind of quickly, I guess, in that way. 
uh, I don't think it's like, well, maybe it's too powerful, but I can see how. Yeah, I would say, personally, I have some problems with Narsted and Karn because they beat me all the time. So <laughs> I wouldn't be too bad if they got banned. Those are probably cards that beat me the most whenever you cast them. I lose most of the time. So that's why I don't I don't really know if they should be banned or not. Well, maybe. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. Well, there's some cards like Mystic Sanctuary. I don't know if they should be legal. Uh, the thing about Veil of Summer. Feels like <laughs> Wait, of... did you just say Mystic Sanctuary? What? Yeah. Why what? do people? I don't know what the what the problem is. Like, oh, I don't know. Am I alone in this? Like, why does this card exist? It's like so weird. So it's it's okay for broken cards to exist, and it's okay for them to exist in Legacy. For something to be banned, I think you really you have to decide why you're banning something. You can't just say you ban it because it's a design mistake because there's way too yeah. many design mistakes that live in Legacy. Okay, but what about... Okay, I guess it's off-topic, but what about Modern? Do you think Mystic Sanctuary should be banned in Modern? I guess it's kind of off-topic. Probably not, honestly. <laughs> it, there's a bunch of... Look, there's a bunch of design mistakes in Modern, too. So D- Daniel is the one-man army to get Mystic Sanctuary banned. Do you think, I yeah, don't think I've seen I, anyone speak so highly of that card. Backstory. The only format I want Mystic Sanctuary to be banned in is Popper, but I think my perspective is not even that valuable there. Mm. Yeah. What's, what's your tragic backstory? So one time I was playing Bug Delver because I saw Mangu thought they do was it or something, so I copied the deck, and I cast the Tarmogoyf against Blue-White Control, and I drew for my turn a second Tarmogoyf. My opponent had no cards in hand. I attacked them, and I looked at my second Tarmogoyf, and I was going to cast it, but then I looked in the graveyard... I saw Terminus, and they had a fetch land up. But if I didn't fetch it, then they could get Ponder and cast the Jace the Mind Sculptor. It was a terrible moment. That's when I said Mystic Sanctuary should be banned. <laughs> Daniel? Okay, great. Great story. Daniel? <laughs> My face is red, and my—I don't think my face can actually do that. Like you, 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 you have once again done it all. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm not I, sure I, what would be better, but by the way, for the actual question, I don't know. Like, I don't know what you know makes better gameplay. Like, probably maybe start with a small ban list. Mm-hmm. I would say it's better to start with a small one because then you can just see if there's. I, you know, I agree with that totally. Yeah. Here's the other thing too, right? Like the other other thing is is like community ban lists are actually they just seem like such a meme, like very 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 because like fun is at the end of the day, balance at the end of the day. Those are like very subjective terms, right? I don't know how exactly. you or I or anyone else would be able to figure that out. So at the end of the day, what I think I'm going to do is just like pick something of my own and then just run with it. You know what I mean? Like I did post something about this on Twitter and like, I got a lot of feedback, but the yeah. range of cards that people were talking about was like, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Because what do you mean, honestly, well, no, no. Like, What's actually going on is people want cards to be banned that they lose to all the time. Not mm-hmm. because they should be banned. That's yeah, I, never, the I never want that. So, um, actually when, let me give you an example unrelated when cons of tarkir came out i called diggin cruise being banned in modern and legacy within six months because i'm just like these cards are egregiously powerful i'm gonna keep playing with them until they don't let me keep playing with them anymore yeah yeah power level is a good reason to ban a card but personal preference is not and exactly exactly and, yeah, i would and, never and, like, like that chinar set or karn just because of personal preference like m- mental misstep also falls into that category for for legacy i think 
Right. So I think I think I might just that that's interesting. So I'll probably just end up choosing something of my own. I've, I've managed to stumble on some funds that I can use use to like you know provide as prize support and then figure out how to do everything. I recently also got um, MTG Melee like allowed me they they gave me like some sort of like organization access so I can run the online tournament there. So I think all in all it'll be it'll be like a I don't know if it'll be a fun experience, but it'll be an experience. I kind of want to see what it's like and kind of want to see what people also bring to the table. So, yeah. Um, real quick before we get into our first topic of the day, though, I want to know, Daniel, do you have anything going on, like any updates? And then Jarvis, do you have any big ticket item updates? Something that rhymes with uh, me, T, but starts with a P or something? Yeah. I'm. I uh, So I did play both of the showcases last weekend as well, but... After the Legacy Showcase where it's 2 I spent the rest of the day playing Standard with friends and on Arena. Uh, mm-hmm. didn't, and honestly, I think we are to a point where the format is back where it was sort of pre-Companion in a weird sort of way. <laughs> because pay, paying three to put a Companion in your hand is a lot. Um, so that that's what I did. I, I did enjoy the Vintage deck we played, obviously, and I think yeah. a lot of the changes we made were actually a lot better than a lot of the other lists people had. But you what know, Vintage still, deck did you play? I played Four Color Paradoxical, and so did you. And we had nice. a braid. We had a braid to kill Null Rod and Arcanus, which a lot of people didn't. And we had Peacekeeper to beat Hollow Vine. Although, uh, in retrospect, I don't love that plan as much anymore after having played it a bunch because it it does require you to have a white mana at all points. Yeah, we didn't play. Uh... We had only Tundras and no basic planes, so the Tundra got wastelanded many times. Yeah, but I don't like basic planes in that deck. It's like it's basically a waste. Yeah, I agree. Doesn't a cast too much. Peacekeeper wastes. You can ask Jeff about Peacekeeper. He's an expert at that card. Yeah, I posted nice. the meme on uh, in Delver Chat when I locked my Hallbind opponent out. Yeah. Whenever I hear, whenever I think of PO, I just think of like my friend Niraj rapping about the like he just had the sickest beat where he was just like, first I drop my Mox and then I paradox and then he picks them all up and it was just like, oh, this is this is just great That's technology. So yeah, yeah. I, I I really enjoy paradoxical outcome decks because they're like halfway between fair blue and halfway between combo. Mm-hmm. So I think all the time a problem with the pure combo deck in vintage is that it's sort of soft to the uh, Xeroxy decks. And the problem is, if you're a fair blue deck, you're soft to Bazaar Baghdad generally. Oh yeah, Bazaar Baghdad. That card, like, it's just so incredible. I didn't. <laughs> I look at it and I'm yeah. just like, this is not a card I would ever touch. And then I look at it from the other side and I'm just like, wait a minute, my opponent just put down like 12 points of power in the form of Hollow Ones and Venge Vines, and they have Force of Will in hand after that. Plus, can we also give a special shout out to your boy? You're not not my boy, actually, because this is I just despise this card now. But Squee Goblin Nabob or whatever. Yes, yes, I. That, so, I I actually uh, once COVID started, I played a bunch more vintage. I started with Ravager Shops, then I went to Hollowvine because I talked to Mike Noble. Then I went to Loris Grix's Breach, which was Anthony's deck, which is also incredible. Then I went back to Hollowvine. Then we, we I ended up here. And honestly, my favorite card in the Hall of Hine deck is Squee, because yeah. <laughs> what what it does is something very unique with Bazaar, which is let you draw cards, essentially. You actually get yeah. to go up on cards, which is a really powerful effect, as you know. <laughs> and nothing is more... T- not th- okay, you think turn one Ancestral Recall into Black Lotus is tilting. No, Bazaar of Baghdad into double Squee, Goblin the Bob is is more tilting than that, and I, and I stand by this forever. Um... Can- 
Can I tell a quick story about Squee Goblin Nabob at my first uh, Grand Prix slash yeah. Grand Prix trial? So it's Grand Prix Boston 2005. The format's extended. I'm playing a Grand Prix trial the night before. My deck is mono red, essentially burn. It has Rashad Port and Wasteland, but it's basically a burn deck. So I'm I'm 1-0 in the trial. I get paired round two, and my opponent's playing some blue-white red control deck. On turn three of game one, my opponent taps out for solitary confinement. I'm like, okay, that's stupid. He'll just run out of cards in hand. Then his next turn, he casts Intuition for three squeeze. I'm like, oh, I'm dead now. <laughs> so, and then game two, I can beat that because I have Twaring Pain in my deck, if you don't, if you know what that does. I have no idea. It's, it's just a one in a red spell that has flashback for red. Damage can't be prevented, so you can get around Ooh. Solitary Confinement. However, yeah. my opponent also was a Scepter Chant deck in disguise. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, so, yes, I love that. But yeah, ex I I told this story because I knew you would love it. It was it was an intuition control deck that had scepter chant and solitary confinement lock. So I Jeez. it's the sort of it's the sort of thing you would have loved in two thousand five if you were actually playing Magic then. That's a, I I do have a scepter chant list on my Magic Online files. One of the few decks that I have yet to delete from my. Uh, uh, no, it's not playable. I'll tell you right now, listeners. It's good um, with awesome. Teferi three, but bad with everything else. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's dive into the first topic of the day then, yeah. which is companion changes. I mean, obviously, like, we're going to talk about that. What did you think we we're going to talk about, right? So <laughs> maybe Jarvis or Daniel, can you tell me, like, can you explain the companion change? Because it's kind of weird, right? It's okay, kind of like... I'll, I'll explain it completely. Uh, they eroded companion in such a way to... They're trying to minimize the confusion, essentially, because if you open the card in a booster pack, it's kind of confusing because that's not the way the card works. But now... Instead of being able to cast it from outside the game, you can pay three mana as a special action whenever you could cast a sorcery to put it into your hand. And I think this is sort of a not a they're trying to minimize the disruption trying to fix it, you know? Because yeah. I think they realized that casting it just for free from your sideboard turned out to be too powerful for virtually all of them. I agree. I I think for like especially like Luris was the the big one, right? Like that card was just too cheap. Three mana, not enough to get a free card. Um, right. What What's interesting to me is that it is quote a special ability. The first thing I the first thing I thought was like maybe I can abuse this in some way or another no. with something like Teferi. It, yeah, Jarvis is shaking yeah. his head like no, and you can't because it is not a spell. It is literally a special ability that doesn't even go on the stack, right? Right. So. Uh other examples of special abilities are morph, like unmorphing okay. something is a special ability. There's very few in Magic. They mostly exist to make sure the game works correctly. And mm. this, I think they saw a window where they could, you know, implement a sort of not a very disruptive fix, but also keep keep the power level in check, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty funny. When, when they had the new rule, I was like, oh, can you do it at instant speed or does it have to be sorcery? And my friend said... Oh, it would be way too good if it was instant speed. Of course it's sorcery. Yeah. And then my other friend said, what do you mean too good? It was literally free like a week ago. How would this make it too good? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So th I guess that that's it there's so much to unpack i guess we'll start with what like what are the biggest changes like who are the winners and losers and we can do whatever format and whatever deck you want to talk about um and that's Daniel, why this, this is the real reason bob's not on the podcast because he's actually at garuda's funeral right now <laughs> <laughs> 
dude, that deck is dead. You know, I okay. So the last tournament that I exper- experienced Garuda in was the um, oh, what is it called? The Lotus Box Legacy one and a half K. Oh, um, don't remind me. I lost my winning into Garuda. Yeah, and and my friend, my friend Jeff White, like he he actually made it all the way to the finals. And listen, Jeff is like the most noble mid range grindy player that I know. Right, like he loves a good ice swing and a three mana planeswalker. And I asked him, he's like, "Why are you playing this deck?" Then, and he was just like, "Dude, it's the best deck." And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I thought my deck was good, my snow deck. But then I played against Garuda and I lost to it. And then I played it again and then I lost to it again. I kept losing to it. And that's that's why I'm second place now with Garuda because the deck is just busted. The deck is now dead. It's just dead, right? Like, I, I mean, maybe somebody is secretly plotting and hatching and trying to... But like nine mana nope. to cast your first Garuda? Yep. That's too much. That's a lot. It's too much. So... We'll see... Yeah, maybe Bob's just like in a, a lab with some right of flame silence. builds. I guess it's one mana, so you can't play right of flame. Yeah. Oh man, dude, that's that's so crazy. So I mean, obviously, so Garuda is dead. Is it dead in all formats? Because I know for sure it's dead in Legacy. Um, the extra three mana is like we we, we argue about like the difference right. b- between a one mana spell and a two mana spell. So obviously, three adding three mana is gonna like you know nerf the card to oblivion. What about uh, in other formats? I believe it's dead in Modern and Pioneer, and it never really was alive in Standard, so that's okay. Well, people okay. did play it, though. I played against it one time in a league. Uh, so it existed. I mean, people played it. Yeah, I, I don't think it's particularly... The the problem, the Pioneer and Modern versions were sort of designed to also be sort of glass cannon so that's the problem, like, adding three minute to glass cannon is not great. Mm-hmm, yeah. From glass yeah, cannon we'll to glass cannon. About it. Yeah, so then you wouldn't expect to play it in the in the uh, the PT next. Is it called a PT? What is it called, Jarvis? Just tell me. Mm, players tour technically, but I'm just like whatever. Just use the abbreviation, although it doesn't mean what it once did. Oh uh, yeah, I I never actually got a hold of whatever. So so would you expect to play against it at all at the PT? No, probably not. Literally, okay. literally zero people will register that card. Oh wow! Yeah, don't and you probably put money on it too, huh? My meme abilities. <laughs> Actually, no, you're estimating it properly. I, honestly, Honorag, if you wanted me to list all of the companions, I would expect Yorion to be the most registered, and then Amori the Collector to be the second most registered. Is that the one that makes like all creature yeah. types one less? Uh, there's a mutate deck. Yeah, exactly. There's a there's like a mono creature mutate deck. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, probably not my cup of tea, but cool. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else. So in Legacy, I feel like Yorion is no longer the same. I now. agree. You know what I mean? Yep. I feel like that card is borderline unplayable, except for like maybe like the... F- like before you could be like, all right, I just want to add Yorion to my deck and just play it. And you could probably... You know, you could come up with a good reason to do it. Now I feel like you have to have some very, very, very specific interaction that's, like, really, really good for you. Well, I think it's pretty good in Enchantress because you have Sarah's Sanctum, which adds one white mana for every enchantment uh, you control, so you, oh you can just ignore God. the ramp. Yeah, <laughs> that, this is the Galaxy true. Brain coming at you live. Um, but Jarvis, okay, so so you've been playing a very special Yorion deck, right? Yeah, I've been playing Yorion Aloran. And I, I should probably explain why I think it's good. 
the mm -hmm. Laren deck as I built it is really a mid-range deck with a lot of like come to play things. Like Recruit of the Guard is a two for one. Icefang Collateral is a two for one. Beautiful Strix is a two for one. Arkham's Astrolabe, once you flicker it, you know, draws you a card. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So the point of Yorion there is, okay, they've dealt with my Laren. Okay, I have a good follow-up. Just cast Mole Drifter, you know? It's yeah. just the world's biggest Mole Drifter in that deck. And really, I've, I've assembled Caracas plus that versus, like, opposing snow decks. And they just die. Like, they're just 100% dead. You just draw too many cards and get too much value? Yeah. And, like, half the games I play with that deck, I just beat my opponent to death with, like, 1-1 one, one flyers. Yeah. Yeah, um, I've, I, I'm not surprised by that. When I played against Brent at... Uh, yep. In the Lotus Box event, now this was before the Yorion nerf. That deck looked yep. terrifying because it was, it could, like, yep. it, first of all, it was able to play toe to toe with the snow decks, right? Because any exactly. tool that they have, you have it too, right? You've got Oko and you've got Teferi. Plus, like, Oko and your 1 1 mm -hmm. is just a beautiful recipe because not only do you draw a card, but you get, like, reasonable power out of it. Yeah. Um, so, if you, a few things we changed for the tournament on Sunday was we played a lot more Teferi 3s uh -huh. uh, just for, basically snow mirrors we really wanted to hammer home the snow matchup and i think it's one of your better tools for silver decks as well um, yeah you, you basically they have to counter that one otherwise they die like it's it's not even close um, seems like a fair transaction and, and that's the that's the thing right like yeah, yeah. you always have this weird like four mana i literally win the game on the spot card which i exactly. think is a very underrated well, um tool to have so the other reason to play it is if you don't play teferi 3 before playing your Warren. A lot of matchups become very weird. Uh, hmm. Let me explain like what can happen. If you play it versus an elf deck, they can play their Rex Sage at instant speed to kill your Alarn and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So you, th there's a lot of weird things that can happen if you don't do that. So that's another mm -hmm. reason to play. It just makes it easier for you. It's not always necessary. Um, another reason is you can just like bounce your Astrolabe, you know, generate some value. Um, yeah, yeah. Another card I chose to play in the main deck after Sam talked to me about it was he said we should just play a main deck Plague Engineer. And it was really, really good to have a main deck Engineer for a Recruiter of the Guards. Um, I, both the matchups I played, Esper Vile and Death and Taxes, the Engineer would have been insane. I mean, I lost the matches still, but I think adding an Engineer probably added like 5% to my matchup in the main yeah. deck. You know? The first so, copy is so good, especially when you can tutor for it. Exactly. So Teferi broke Lurin, is what I'm hearing. The no, yeah. of that's, that, that's the wrong way of putting it, but uh, it, it, it made the deck better, I think. I, yeah. I think I think my deck was good, and, you know, you you do have to run okay to still do well in the tournament, right? Mm. Yeah, and, no, no, I, I agree. That's well, one of the things. Honestly, the, the matches I played against, I lost to Max round one, playing Espervile. Those matches were really intricate, so... I think I might have messed up somewhere as well. Um, it's it, it's just it's not that easy to play. Like basically, we're playing a mid range mirror, and I don't know if you have played a lot with that survival deck. If you let it get going, it can spiral out of control. Yeah, that's what that, because, that's usually what happens to me well, when I lose to it. So, it's like one piece on top of another, it, and then this exactly. is giant house of cards. Because if you, if they get recruited for soul herder, they can basically spiral through their entire deck slowly, right? Yep. I uh, I was gonna say that Esper Vile seems like one of the the scarier matchups and is like another reason why Teferi is really good because right. like can you imagine like you put Alurin into play and then your opponent flashes in a meddling mage and you're just like well that's not good um, but also like that Vile deck seems like uh, it's been pretty it's been doing doing pretty well right the new <clears throat> the rotation of what is it like 
Charming Prince and Gilded Drake is what I've seen a lot in a lot of matchups, and uh, honestly, that thought is terrifying. So I think the unique thing about it is that like when you put Gilded Drake into play, uh, you, you obviously trade creatures with your opponent, right? But right. Charming Prince says to flash or yep. blink, rather, a creature that you own, not a creature that you control, which is really weird language coming out of 2019 or 2020 or whatever, but it, it gives you back your own Gilded Drake, and that's just like such a massive swing in terms of like bodies and play and you know just stuff like that that uh yeah. in omar's own words charming prince is a pushed card really yeah he said that when we were playing uh when we were testing yorion devotion and pioneer and i was saying oh, how good sure, charming sure. prince was with yorion he said yeah yorion is uh, charming prince is obviously a pushed card i i tested that yorion devotion combo deck as well it was pretty good for me um yeah what one card i think that's sorry uh go ahead Oh, no, I was just going to say Charming Prince and Yorion were good together. No, yeah. <laughs> so one one card that I think that's really good with Gilded Drake that probably doesn't get enough respect is Eldrazi Displacer. Does that do the same thing? Yeah, but oh, you can just it, pay two in the colorless to just repeatedly do it. Mm, well, please, please, I mean, so okay, so I'm about to also now. say... I'm all, I'm about to also drop my, one of my other forbidden forbidden jutsus into, into play right now. But one of the other decks that I think can still get away with Yorion is the one deck that can get it into play by spending all of the grand total of one mana, and that is uh, Yorion DNT. Now picture yep. this, all right? It's turn four. You just put your palace jailer into play. Your opponent just. Your opponent just flashes in an Ice Fang on your end step, and then they attack, they take the Monarchy back. Things are looking really grim, but lo and behold, you get to untap. You think you think to yourself, you're just like, what do I do here? Oh my god, I've got it. Tick my Vial up to five, pay three mana, bazooka, Vial in my, my Yorion, and, and just blink all my value creatures. Like, that's probably one of the coolest ways that, like, you know, like, to showboat with Yorion. Also, I think one of the only ways that makes sense because it's just so mana efficient, which, you know, that's a really interesting conclusion, maybe. Yeah. Um, now the only that problem is you draw a Vile less. What's up? <laughs> the only problem is you draw a Vile less in your Vile deck. Oh, well, you're, you're, you're thinking in the year 20XX. It has here. kind of a high curve, so like Vile's kind of important in that so, deck, so you have something to do on turn one. Yeah. Oh, well, so, you could just blink a... Yeah, I mean, that's fine. That's fine. You're right. You're, you're right. That is a little bit of an inconsistency. I guess it could be a master. Giver, four mother, four vile, four plow. Now you have 16 one drops. Oh, my goodness. Just by so, four giver, four mom for more one drops. Uh, Anurag, the play you described is why they also banned fires, fires of Invention. Wait, what? Well, think about it. If, if your spells cost zero mana and you attach Ooh. his companion cost, it doesn't do anything unless if you actually ban fires in standard. Mm -hmm. yeah. That makes sense. So yeah, the, it if you knew this change was coming, it was so easy to predict fires would be banned. Yeah, yeah, no, because no, it, it strictly invalidates that that uh, exactly update. Exactly. Well, Yorion used to be literally when was when fires was legal in standard. This is what yes. the fires Yorion deck would do. You go turn four fires, then yep. turn five. Even you could go play Castle Ardenvale, make a token, play Luca. Minus on the token, get Agent of Treachery, steal yep. a permanent, play Yorion, flicker Agent of Treachery, flicker Luca, and then you get to steal another permanent, and it's turn five. <laughs> like, you see what I mean? Just use 15 yeah. mana. That's what uh, on turn five, so is, yeah. On turn five, you've, like, cast 13 mana worth of stuff. That's just not okay. Yeah. And also, it's so funny that Yorion was literally free in standard, but also Yorion is a card that generates mana, because when you flicker stuff, it kind of, like generates mana in a way so Yorion mm -hmm. was a card that was like a free card that would generate mana that was literally free it was so 
you know, powerful. Well, yeah. Also, fires think... fires had the restriction that you could only cast two spells. But if you use Yorian as your second spell to flicker the fires, you can still just tap all of your lands and cast another spell. Yeah, that's messed well, up. So you could use Baby Teferi to bounce Yorion. That was also a loop. Yeah. So you would use Baby Teferi to bounce Yorion, then you'd Yorion flicker everything, and then you'd reset the Baby Teferi. Oh my god. Can you imagine if that's what the PT would be like in a couple weeks? Like, that's yeah, what that's why, was like for like a month. That's why they banned a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that would make for a miserable watching experience, so I'm kind of glad that they did yeah, that. That's but, why I called it. It was a, like a one-deck format, basically, when it was Jessica and Luca. Yeah. Yep. I was planning on playing that, it if they didn't ban it. <laughs> I bet everybody was. That's kind of my conclusion, though, is that like the way to make Yorion good is to find a way to abuse mana, and I think that's something that the DNT deck is show, showcasing with um, uh, the vile tricks and shenanigans, and I think yep. that's something that the Aluren deck is showcasing, leveraging Aluren to get a lot of like value into play, uh, which makes the eight mana payoff actually worth it. Um, I, I also noticed there was one more deck that was playing Yorion that was like, I don't know, I don't know how this happened, but Lin Chalice on MTGO um, went six and two, I believe, with the Strifo Yorion deck. Yeah, I, I don't understand either. I I don't I think it might just be like the value, like the inherent value within the Strifo. Like I think he won despite Yorion instead of like because of Yorion. Um, because that Strifo deck is just a monstrosity. It's like so, it's very, very, very powerful. Um, so if, if you are looking for a fair Yorion deck, maybe check that out um, from the Legacy Showcase Challenge. It was an X2 deck that had Yorion and like Dak Faden and, and things like that. Um, another winner in the meta, I feel like, is... Drumroll! Blue Mage's Worst Nightmare, Hogak. Uh, That's your worst nightmare. Well, I do not enjoy playing against that deck at all with any sort of blue control oh, deck. Oh, hold on. Let me ask you: Would you rather play against that deck or blue green Omnitel? I would I rather play against blue green Omnitel. I'm not that scared of the Omnitel usually. Yeah, because at least with Omni, like I feel like I have tools to fight it. I can board it. I can change my deck to beat it. Like bring in my meddling majors and things like that. But the problem with like graveyard decks in general is that you have to dedicate so much of your sideboard slots as the fair blue decks to beat them because their strategies are just so mm. inherently good against you that like you need a lot to change the, the, the tip the scales in your favor and you just never have that kind of sideboard spacing in your that's maybe i'm as, as scared as on your against hogak but i've i never because here's the thing about the show and tell decks like they're not that good at like if you're playing a snow and you cast sylvan library it's pretty threatening for them like if right. they can't combo deck so you have good tools and you have cards like you have a lot of ways to draw cards, and uh, you have good sideboard options like Deafening Silence. Obviously, it could be like a bad matchup. I didn't test in depths, and they could have tools like Poseidon. You, but basically, Sylvan Library is so scary for them. But um, Hogak, I, I was playing a bit with Snow, and I was beating it a few times. Like it's kind of an interesting matchup because they're kind of like playing all these creatures, but it's kind of hard to remove them with removal spells because they're coming from the graveyard and stuff. But they also have Ultra of Dementia, so like you have to watch out for the Ultra uh, too. Because sometimes I was finding I could just like if I had a library, then I could cast an Earl and like have a Dead of Winter and like kind of contain their stuff. And it's not like they're a perfect engine, you know. Like they're gonna have like it's not like they're gonna perfectly be casting spells from the graveyard. Sometimes they'll stumble a bit along the way, so you can like use Earl and Dead of Winter and like stuff like this, uh, you know, to take advantage. But I was the fact that they also have Ultra makes it kind of 
uh, interesting because Ultra's kind of like two mana win from a lot of positions. Yep. Because Hogak, it's not like Dredge, it's not like as... If, right. like, if you look at the way it's built, it's built pretty similar to like the modern Hogak deck. Yeah. It's not just like turn one Dredge my whole deck, it's more like kind of like a zoo deck coming from the graveyard with Ultras and... Yeah. So I, I think you and I both played a bunch of modern Hogak, is that correct? You, you, did you play a bunch of it? I uh, did, yes. Oh, oh, I... If you're talking to me, I I did not. I played Is It Phoenix because oh, yeah. I spent the whole summer I, I drafting Modern I, Horizons. I tried to talk you into it, remember? Don't you remember that? Yeah, mate, I think it was a bad decision that I played Is It Phoenix. Basically, I didn't play Modern that much this summer. I was like, oh, I like Is It Phoenix. I'm pretty, I think, I was like, I basically was like, oh, I think I'm like, I have a really different mulligan strategy and I think it'll work no. out. I mean, I actually nope. did do okay. I went, I had a positive scoring constructed at the PT. I went 3-2 against Hogak. Um, but obviously it was a huge mistake probably not to play it. But basically I spent the whole summer drafting Modern Horizons. So I didn't really test Modern. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, that was a mistake. Um, to, to put in a perspective on Arav, when Hogak mm-hmm. first broke out in Modern, Ari and I said it looks like a tier 1.7 legacy deck, so that's how we know it's too good for the format. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and then I played it. I played it in legacy. I'm like, yeah, it feels about tier 1.7. Uh, yeah. The the issues you brought up, it not being as explosive as a dredge, uh, can be a problem if there's a lot of combo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but if if it's just slow blue decks, you can work through most of that with Cabal Therapy, as you pointed out. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's but it's my, also like that's more, my big fear. It's like more interactable with stuff like like you have more time to set up Uros because yep. they're kind of a bit slower than Dredge, so you have more time to like set up library and Uro. Like like when you play against Hogak, it feels you can kind of more you can more easily like use library to convert library into win, whereas for Dredge it feels harder to convert library into win. Because since like Hogak's slightly slower, like yeah, maybe you can change it, it. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like so so here's here's actually one thing that I remember is that like before breach actually took over the format right i think that might be our last like like that might be like toward like the end of like the quote longer format that we had before right. we started like rotating formats so quickly um hogak was actually a big deal back then right because i remember like i was even yeah. like considering playing Leyline of the voids in my deck just to have a chance against that matchup i, I think that was a uh, blowback from the lotus Bo- or not the lotus box scg uh players champs where a bunch of them played Hogak and people mm-hmm. were just picking it up because of that. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of the thing is the play patterns are very similar to the ones from modern, so a lot of the skills are transferable. The only unique card is Cabal Therapy, I think, pretty much. Yeah. I um I don't know, it just also feels like that the deck is like a little bit different from Dredge, just in the sense that you're actually like yeah. casting a lot of your stuff and you've got exactly. Alter is like a really good way to get like it just gives you a lot of resiliency to removal spells like like plow for example and then i don't know th- th- there's nothing more infuriating for me to like have had like swept the board like played a dead of winter to kill like a couple grave crawlers and then they get a zombie token and they just bring the grave crawlers back like that's sort of like that that sort of like loop yeah. makes me very very sad i will say that that a tool like uro i think has recently made bridge from below a lot yep. less threatening yep. um because you know the sack trigger will get rid of the bridges but i still feel like if i if, if you if you put a gun to my head i'd say that the matchup is definitely in the hogax uh you know in the, in their favor so i i do expect it to see it come back a little bit um, if, or it'll always be like looming in the skies if snow actually yeah. becomes like a, a very, very scary force. Yeah. 
or like another difference, I mean, is between Dredge and Hogak is like Hogak can run out of gas more easily. Like sometimes yep. they can kind of run out of spells to cast, whereas Dredge kind of just dredges through their whole deck and gets back all the all the everything. Whereas Hogak sometimes they'll only be able to present a certain amount of creatures, and then you can kind of like remove them, and they'll kind of like fizzle out. So like like you can actually like kind of use removal in a row, whereas against Dredge that's harder to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, one but, one counterpoint to that is if you measure surgical narcomebas and icarids from most dredge decks, they can't do very much a lot of the time. That's true. That's one of my big game and, plans: find snapcaster surgical. Yeah. Well, it, a lot of the snow decks have shaved down on snapcasters. But another point in Hogak's favor is: suppose your opponent mulligans to a leyline, you just, like to three cards or something. You just cast a two-one for one. You cast a 2-1 for 2. You cast a 4-3 haste for 4. Oh, your opponent's dead because they've spent all their time mulliganing. Yeah, yeah. I beat a game 1 Leyline one time. Yeah, exactly. Got, I remember, by milling them out with Hedron Crab. <laughs> <laughs> because they were playing Prison Deck, and I know how they win conditions. Yeah. And they just, That's so I got funny. Them to, I remember, like, I was just milling them and milling them. And then I was looking at their graveyard, and they had almost no win cons in their deck. And then they just scooped, and they said, oh, that's all my win cons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's right. really weird too. Like, I, I mean, I'm gonna just harp a little bit more on the Hogak versus Blue matchup because I think that's like that's in my mind that is the one reason that you would want to play Hogak is because you want to prey on the snow decks, right? Which means that if uh, I mean, like, like you mentioned, Jarvis, if the format is like all combo, then you probably want to step a little bit away from the right. Hogak decks. Um, but but in my mind, just like that that alternate plan of like, okay, you know, while I'm trying to draw into my synergies, I'm just gonna like attack you with my recur- recurring wibbly creatures that are very hard to get rid of. Like, yep. I had the meddling mage or grave crawler. That that feels bad. Okay, let's say the play right now. It sounds great. Sounds great. Oh. They don't have, they don't have any grave crawlers anymore. I don't know what you're complaining about. <laughs> no, they were the grave crawlers were in play, and I had to like chump block and it was, it, this that deck stresses me out. I'm not looking forward to it, but I do think that the companion nerfs make snow a little bit more of a menacing force, which in turn yeah. makes Hogak like a an anti meta yeah. way to approach the well, uh, the snow whatever I, winter. I've heard people say they like. I was talking to uh, Tarek, who he had some success with Hogak, and I was asking him why he uh, preferred it over Dredge. Because mm. he had that hot run where he top aided SCG, and then the next week he top aided the GP with yeah, Hogak. I remember that. I remember that. And yeah. uh, I asked him why do you prefer it because I like Dredge because it's fun because you like do your whole deck stuff. And he said that he felt it was better against like Graph Digger's Cage or like a single Graph Cage or like Force of Will. Or, like a lot of people say cards yeah. like Tormod's Crypt or Surgical, like card, like cards like that. Like like Graph Digger's Cage actually can be like pretty bad against Hogak at times because you can just uh, compare it to Dredge. Because you can kind of use your bridges or you can cast Hogak from your hand So stuff one, like this. One thing I'll say about Hogak that I don't think is very clear when you look at the deck list, there's a lot of really intricate micro-sequencing decisions when you play the deck. And making them correctly or not correctly can be often be like the 2% difference in a win or loss. I also find Dredge pretty hard to play. Or do you think Hogak like, uh, has more of those subtle I, I think decisions? Hogak... Ho- Dredge also has a lot of weird corner case decisions, but I think the problem with Hogak is decide when you want to use your lands, stuff like that, whether or not you can play around Wasteland because you actually need like your lands to hardcast your things. And, yeah. you know, like, because Hedron Crab, I think, makes the deck a lot harder to play, essentially is what I'm saying. Hed- basically, Hedron Crag and Bloodcast make it pretty harder to play because your fetch lands become infinitely more valuable. Not as valuable as a, like, a Brainstorm deck, but pretty damn valuable i think 
Yeah, yeah. Royal Crabs, obviously, I think it's really hard to play in the sense that if you play against a Delver deck, they can have Days or they can have Bird, Exactly. They can have Wasteland. Right. So it's exactly. like, hard. it's like, do I want to, yeah, if I play around Days, I don't get the trigger. But if I do play around Days, maybe they can like Bolt it or Wasteland or et cetera. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it actually reminds me, I played a lot of that Hedron Crab venue find in Modern for a while, but once upon a time with Legal. Brings back some good memories of uh, Hedron Crab. Yeah. yeah. One thing I want to mention, though, is just like as we close up this topic is um, so the showcase deck lists are actually public at this point. And what's really interesting is that a lot of the top 16 decks are, I mean, like half of them are just like not brainstorm strategies, even fewer than half uh, in the top eight itself. There's like only three brainstorm decks in the top eight, which is Mm -hmm. kind of interesting. I wonder if the format is like very combo slated right now, because I'm looking at the decks right now. In first place, we had the mono blue like Echo Stompy deck, um, which kind of a combo deck. Uh, Wonder Pro got second place with uh, Ad Nauseam, which I, everyone has been saying is a dead deck, interesting enough, but that's not, a, that's whatever. Right. Mind of a Kid got third place with uh, White Eldrazi Taxes. And then in fourth place was the DNT player, player that beat me. So, like, it's kind of interesting. And then obviously Dylan Donegan got fifth with Hogak. That uh, there's a lot Wait, of non Keep going to eights. Keep going to eights. What's up? Go, go to, I'll go all the way to eighth. Okay, sure. And, and, and uh, in sixth place, there was Sneak and Show. In seventh place was myself. Okay, cool. I'm done. Thanks, guys, for joining. That's the end. No, I'm kidding. In eighth place was, uh, eighth place was uh, your boy, Ghoul Dukat, with uh, oh, an interesting uh, take on Blue Red Delver, actually. You I think he just submitted deck? an old deck list, right? It looks like an ancient deck list. Yeah. Wait, you have two main deck Pyroblasts? Yeah, I just copied the list online from the Lotus Box tournament because what happened basically is I was playing the Pioneer Showcase and I was, I don't like double queuing, so I was planning to focus on it. But like, I punch it a game. I like punch it a game. I don't even want to say which matchup it was. Uh-huh. Uh, let's just say Julian would be associated with those guys. And I, I was like so demoralized that I had to join the Legacy one to forget the pain of the Pioneer. So I, I quickly scrambled. So I was going to play Snow because that's what I usually play, but I can't really double queue with Snow. So I, I was like, okay, I'll play Blue Red Delver. I was playing that recently and I, I went on Goldfish and I looked through some lists and this one looked kind of interesting. So I kind of copied it, made some cyborg changes and I played it. And yeah, I had some interesting games with it that weekend. Uh, and then I could talk about the matchup I played. Um, I played against like five, I played against two Delver, two Rug Delver. One bug shadow, two snow decks, and then I beat something, uh, something else, and then I lost to Hogak. I lost to the mono blue deck the last round, but I, I, I was playing pretty loose at that point, uh, because I don't know, I was tired or something, uh, some excuse like that. And what else? I, yeah, so it was kind of interesting. Oh, I beat like a bug Zenus deck. So those were kind of my matchups was the deck it was, it was kind of an interesting take because basically i don't know how to analyze the sprite dragon yet like it's a card i like but i wasn't sure exactly how to analyze it this is like kind of a true name so it could be kind of good against like uh solia decks or eldrazi decks where it's like kind of hard to remove but it's kind of a boomer card because of plague engineers so i don't know <laughs> and then like yeah there, there was some interesting stuff like submerge is an interesting card and usually i like to play t- you know one or two explosives i only put one explosives because i just copied the list i had one blood moon no, which was kind of interesting. Like, I wasn't sure to analyze everything. Uh, a couple of sets in the sideboard, which were pretty good. I played some interesting games against Snow because I played against two Snow, and people were like, oh, that's like a horrible matchup for Blue Red Delver. It's like a nightmare. And my games are kind of weird. I don't know if it plays out like that normally. But basically, so like the first game, I didn't really know how many Surgicals to side in. I think I sided in like two, maybe one, not all three. 
and they had an Uro, and I surgicaled it, and I looked through their deck, and their entire deck was removal spells, and then, like, two Okos, and I had four Pyroblasts in my deck. Yeah. So I kind of was like, wait a second. So they Pyroblasted Oko, and I surgicaled it, and they had, like, literally no win cons in their deck. And it felt so easy. And then, like, the next, and then the next, and then they basically did two more times in a row. But they said, I did all three surgicals. I'm excited in my force of negations, and then I just like surgical the Uro again, and then I looked at their deck, like the next player, and like, and yeah, that was basically, I and mean, actually, them having force of will was scary, because both of my opponents kept in a bunch of force of wills, and it was scary, because it meant they actually had like relevant stuff to stop my pyroblasts, and I kind of just decked them, because they would just draw a bunch of extra cards uh, at that point. I mean, yep. obviously, you can't just do that for free, I need to, because they have like force of wills and veil of summers, and, and they have ice fangs, you know, you can die to those, and they had like one Leovold, so it's not like it's just a free win, but it was kind of interesting, and it felt kind of, I mean, I don't know if it plays out like that on average, but those games kind of felt easy where you surgical and you saw that they had two cards in their deck and you had like 50 cards to stop it because their whole deck was filled with like was removal spells and you could kind of shift it. It's kind of a weird experience. Also, they had, I was playing Blue Red, so their back to basics weren't as effective. It's actually funny, I sided out my basic mountain, but then I thought they had back to basics, so I sided it back in. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's so. one of the most terrifying things that I think I uh, that someone could do to me is surgical my Uros out of a Delver deck yep. because it, it is it like Uro is obviously like I think the the number one win condition in a world where it just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. So once you cut that off with surgical extraction, I feel like I lose my my entire game plan. Just goes to goes to uh, yeah, just down the toilet, um, if you will, and. Um, I actually like that's one of the reasons why I played a ground seal in in my sideboard was exactly <laughs> for to beat uh, for Delver. Yeah, I boarded it in against Delver to stop Dreadhorde Arcanist and Surgical Extraction, which IMO were the oh, two best Dreadhorde. threats in their deck. So, so um was yeah, the ground seal Vitrium? Well, <laughs> I don't know about that. I did board it in against Delver. What? Um and it made me it allowed me to cycle my Uro without hesitation. That's but I, it, yeah. like then I got paired against Hogak, and I was like, "Oh God, why is this a ground seal? No, please, no, anything but this." So um, yeah, for its worth, when I tested Delver and I had Surgical on my sideboard for Snow, I did basically the same thing Daniel was describing. I would basically just beat them all the time in postboard games. Mm, yeah, you just kill their threats because they're trying so hard to survive, and then trying. Well, to yeah, beat they you don't have their... any threats, so you can just grind them out. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Um, Actually, I lost to Jund this week. Uh, if you know what I'm talking about, people who remember what Jund is, it's when yeah. you play black, green, and red in the same deck. And I was playing against <laughs> Legacy Jund. So it was, they were playing Tarmogoyfs and Satsizes, and I was playing Four Color Snow. And I was like, oh, this seems like a good matchup. And I won game one, and then game two, and game three, they just surgical me. And I was like, what the? They like surgical my Earl. And then I was like, oh my god, I had one Leopold in my deck, and like, they surgical my Earl. <laughs> and they decided to surgical my Ice Fang Quaddles, and I was just sitting there like, Okay, Who does okay. that? Who surgicals Ice Fang Quaddle? That's messed up, dude. I feel for you. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, oh, and they yeah. also reanimated my Leovold. They, I remember. Now I remember. They bolted my Leovold, and then they reanimated me. What, they had reanimated their Leovold. Jump Yeah, I remember. Like I had I had like a Sylvan Library, and they stopped it by reanimating my Leovold. So Leovold's actually bad in the snow in case your opponent reanimates it. So that's actually why I wouldn't play it. Boom, ah. there you go. From from, from the du Ducat himself. Yeah, I mean, um, you can play, like, one and treat the angels in, like, these snow decks. The problem is there's so much removal. There was actually one interesting game. So I played against Eldrazi, 
Uh, just to give an example of how the removal spells can be exploited. So I played against Eldrazi in the showcase, in the Lotus Boxing last week with Snowin. And what happened basically is my hand was basically two Abrupt Decay and two Swords of Plowshares. And my opponent played two Matters Reshapers and two Reality Smashers. And basically all their threats, like two for one, my removal spells. And I didn't like have an arrow. And then I just lost because my removal spells all got two for one by Eldrazi. And then they had like Eye of Ugin to keep the, the chain rolling. So that was kind of like an interesting game. Like I had two Erupt K2 Plow and I lost two Eldrazi just because their threats kind of two for one then, which is kind of interesting. That's kind of why I was leaning towards playing four Uros. You know what yeah. I mean? Just so that because yeah. your removal spells tend to get, you know, like lose, lose some value. So you want something to make it up. Exactly. I agree with you. And then that's something that you can exploit as the Delver deck when they sort of like concentrate their, their win conditions that way. Um, I don't know like what the best way is to beat that because as soon as you start diversifying your win conditions like in, in the snow deck, then you start losing against that sort of stuff where having a 6-6 six, six body that gains 3 life is really good. So something to think about. But um, I say we move on to the next topic. What do you guys think? Sounds good. Sure. All right. Daniel, any closing thoughts or anything else before we go? I was just going to say, like, part of the reason is, like, a lot of the reactive cards in Snow aren't that versatile because so much of its removal, Plow, Decay, yeah. uh, Dead of Winter, so you can't shift it into protecting your card. So if you have a threat like Entreat the Angels or Oko, it's kind of hard to shift those cards into protecting it compared to, like, a traditional Miracles deck from, like, a couple years ago where they mm -hmm. would only have, like, four Plow, four Terminus, and then they'd have a bunch of counterbalance and counter spells and et cetera because the Snow decks don't play that many counter spells and they don't play cards like Snapcaster Mage and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so standard. Uh, I This is where I let go, I let loose, okay. and I let you two hop in the driver's seat. So I'll, I'll, um, I'll discuss something that happened last weekend. There was a big tournament run on MTG Melee, and I don't know if you all know this, they usually publish a lot of the data that comes out of those tournaments because it's auto-calculated by their software. So the tournament I'm referring to was the Battle Against Race Racism tournament run by Judge Academy last Sunday. They had 225 players. And uh, what we can see here is that the the top five, top six played decks or so, number one is Team Rec. And Daniel, I know you've played a lot about this, played a lot with this deck. It had a 61.7% win rate when people knew it was the best deck. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I was pretty surprised by that because... Basically, I was playing, t so my testing, I was testing, I tested against Omar a bit, and the first yeah. day I was like, oh, I want to play Teamer Wreck, it seems great, like a great uh -huh. deck, and Omar was just beating me with everything, he was beating me with Black Red Cat, because he had a sideboard plan of four Rotting Registaur, kind of losing to that dinosaur, mm -hmm. um, he, he had a, and he had Bant, so I was kind of like, not sure about it, I kind of felt the deck wasn't that good against Bant, I kind of felt like Teamer has to jump through a lot of hoops to win, because I felt like, you don't, you play a lot of creatures, I mean, you have Shark Typhoon, kind of, so like, you kind of need to have a lot of removals to point at stuff, but like, and your opponents can kind of interact with your reclamations and your explosion. Like, it kind of felt like you had to jump through a lot of hoops to win because you don't just win when you go reclamation explosion. You still yeah. need to kind of like maintain the battlefield. Right. And there's like a lot of weird stuff. And at the same time, your opponent can interact with your reclamation or they can like interact with your explosion and you have a lot of points where you can fail. So I always felt like the deck was kind of iffy, but then when in reality, sometimes you just play reclamation, you have that explosion in your hand, it's pretty powerful. But I was a bit surprised. I thought that the deck actually wasn't that good, but I guess it was proven wrong, and it seems like a like a decent, like better than I thought it was. So just for Honorog's sake, would you say that's the Honorog deck of the format? Oh, I know enough about Reclamation to already know that's what I would play. Like, yeah, I saw it's... the modern variations that have, like, Reclamation and, like, Mystical Teachings, and I was just like, sign me up, I'm gonna play this. I mean, obviously, like, the standard version, you've got, uh, right. what's that, you said, Explosion Expansion or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's basically yeah, an basically Rev. 
It's a Sphinx's yeah. Rev or a Twin Cast for cheaper cards, which is actually you pretty don't relevant. Life, right? What? It deals damage. Uh, no, it, it, it deals damage. More. So you can like kill okay. a creature and draw X cards. You can deal X damage and draw X cards. You can also deal with your opponent X damage and draw X cards. So, you know, yeah. that's that, that's, that's, that's pretty. I mean, it's kind of crazy actually because 61 uh, 61 first of all in a big tournament like this a 60 percent win rate like while yeah. it doesn't seem that impressive is actually just like a big deal right like watsi bans cards for having 55 percent win rate so 60 percent so, is and also on our you have to remember that that's the most played deck the fact that it plays itself drags its win percentage down because that contributes 50 percent every time Oh yeah, that's right. So, so that so in reality, if you exclude the mirror matches, which you should do, although th mm -hmm. they obviously didn't do it, the win rate would actually probably be about sixty three, sixty four percent. That's kind of I mean that sixty one and sixty three are about the same, but still that's still terrifying that like no, yeah it, the win rate is so high despite that. So I, my my thought yeah, process exactly. like as a complete standard or, or just like as a complete stranger to this is like looking at that data maybe it just makes sense to play this deck but I, I don't understand so you said everyone was prepared for like everyone went into this event thinking hey this is the deck to beat so how does it well still you know what i mean so the thing is i think a lot of the problem is uh, a lot of the rec decks they can board into like a full-on control deck or they can board into a flash deck depending on mm -hmm. how their sideboard is built uh, I know I suggested to Daniel that he play a bunch of Night Pack Ambushers in his sideboard at some point. That's pretty known tech, but the thing is that it introduces such an awkward axis for a lot of other decks to compete with, because do you really want to leave in creature removal versus a deck that only has, like, Uros, Shark Typhoons, and Night Pack Ambushers as creatures? The answer is generally mm. no, but you see the problem, right? It's a, it's equivalent of, like, a Miracle's deck. Yeah, exactly. It's the exact yeah. same problem. These problems always exist, and it's always up to the blue deck to exploit it, you know, in some way. And that's that's what's going on here. Yeah, I would say the main problem I had with the Reclamation deck was it felt like against Bant that you're kind of playing like a mirror match, except yeah. for they had better removal for your threats because yeah. they had Elspeth Conquer's Desk, which is really powerful. I mean, on your you probably yep. don't know what that card does, but it basically... It's like it kills your your spell and then it reanimates it to fairy basically. Yep. And it also has Salia text on it. It's like really good if it resolves. And and like they Wait, have to what? What? That's so. Yeah, that's like, so much. No. Yeah, well, it's like pretty busted. Honor, it costs five mana though, so that's, that's okay. That, okay. That's right. that's I remember when it was first printed, a uh, quarry. Burkhart said that if you're not playing like Elspeth Conqueror's Death in standard, you're probably making a mistake or something like that. I, like it's pretty. It's pretty good in standard. Yeah, I remember that. Anyways, enough about wreck. Yeah. The second deck is John Cat, aka Sacrifice. Uh, I played a fair amount of this deck the last few days, and I believe you have too. It had 25 pilots, which is about 11% of the field, and its win rate was 58.6%. So I mm -hmm. think this is probably the second best deck in standard. Okay. Just for my own anal analytical perspective, like 61 and 58 are basically the same number for me. So, yeah. The, the, I mean, just three percent different, but so yeah. the 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 one problem is, I think it's generally accepted that in game one, John Cat is not very good for Steamer Wreck because it doesn't uh -huh. kill quickly enough to get overrun by like a giant fireball, essentially. Interesting. So John Sacrifice is the one that has like the cat and the other, yeah, and the, like it's the, all the fairy tale deck, right? Exactly. But the thing is, when you drain your opponent for one per turn versus a deck that can just fireball you for ten twice. It's yeah. kind of not an even battle in game one, right? 
I would and say one deck distinctly wins the race in that situation. Exactly. That's why a lot of the a lot of the Jun decks post board ha- like try to attack the Reclamations with like duresses and cinder vines and stuff like that, or even just like mm-hmm. a big creature like um, rotting Regisaur. Yeah. Like, which you can uh, cast on turn two is Gilded Goose, which just seems pretty good can. to me. So turn two seven six is their planned post board. Yeah. See, this is what I was talking about. That's the sort of what I expected, right? Because Reclamation, like, mm-hmm. when I played it in Pioneer back in December, when it had all the tools, there were ways to, like, disrupt and defeat that deck, right? Exactly. Like, after Veil of Summer got banned. And I'm just, I, I just kind of feel like, because because Reclamation is so disruptible, that, like, unless it has, a, like, a really solid plan B, and I don't know how solid a plan B just playing a 6-6 six, six Uro right. is and then attacking with it, I don't... Th- it just doesn't make sense that the deck would be doing so well. So what what are those pilot pilots doing correctly that, you know what I mean? So I think there's a lot of room to build your Reclamation sideboard. I think if you mm-hmm. expect plans like that, you can be better prepared. I know at uh, MC Oko, our friend Stefan Schutz, a.k.a. Cedrus, he had Brazen Borrowers for the Regisaur, and his plan was to just bounce it when the last discard went on the stack, so they would have to discard it to its own trigger. Mm. Because it... That's... The, the, the seven six is not free. Let's be clear. Every upkeep, you have to discard a card. That's the opposite right, of right. that's the opposite of what you want to play Magic Lake on, Arg. I know yeah, that. Yeah, I. I mean, <laughs> I, I registered Rotting Registrar. I think once in my life for a legacy event where yeah, I had that was a joke. Light Phoenix in my decks as well. Yes, that was a joke. Um, yeah, so, but I, I I do like yeah. the the good old uh, Venser your Liliana discard your Liliana trick right there that you got going on. Well, so the, the the real problem with that with Registrar at MC Oko was. Okay, they play Registrar. Cute. I'll just Oko it. Mm, <laughs> nice yeah, yeah. card. Now that that card's really, gone. That, that was just not a good plan at that tournament. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so, like, if you had to... So, Jun Sacrifice at 60, 60% and Teamer Wreck at 60%, like, in the heads up, the 1v1, who do you think would win? I mean, it's, do you think it's just on how you build your deck? Yeah, like, there, there's a lot of deck building, but I think the fact that Jun basically almost always starts a game down means that you... The, the Jun deck is going to have to do pr- some pretty special things post-board to come back to even, right? Mm. Well, I think that the, the, the main thing that I realized in the matchup is that the Teamer deck plays a lot of reactive cards, and the Jun yeah. deck plays a lot of threats. So when your deck is filled with reactive cards, you can have a lot of issues with that. They don't line That's up true. properly, or they don't trade. Like, your opponent plays Corvold or Bola Citadel or Trail of Crumbs. Like, they play a lot of sticky threats. So that's, like, kind of something Giant has going through. Like, Giant is kind of all that's threats. True. So that so that means that the teamer deck kind of has to line it up. Also, the thing is, against teamer, it's not like you just win on your first explosion. Because, like, if your opponent has, like, a battlefield, like, you can explosion away one creature, but then they could, like, maybe cast a Bolas to Citadel and win... You know, here, like, there's, I don't, like, obviously, game one's pretty bad, like, but I would say it kind of depends how well the teamer player draws, because if the teamer player doesn't draw, you know, doesn't have a great draw, maybe doesn't have a good reclamation on time, or can't find the second explosion, or or something like this, like, I definitely think the Jun player can win. Maybe I'm overrating it a bit from the Jun side, but it feels like if the teamer deck stumbles a little bit, you know, you can definitely get there with the Jun deck in game one, but maybe I'm overrating the, that, that aspect. In in my perspective, the way I've seen teamer wreck lose the most in Jun game one is getting their Uro claim the firstborn and dying to it. That was the active treason you told me about, right? Yeah, it costs one mana to steal their Uro, but the Jun deck is... Full of sacrifice outlets, so once you steal it, it's just as good as dead, and you get to yeah. attack them for a bunch of damage. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty also, gross. Also, the other way I'd imagine you win was, is with Bolas Citadel, because you can kind of, uh, yeah. I mean, you know what that card does on your rock, and basically yeah. it's the game when you cast it. 
Yeah, it's yeah, funny. Vintage because, All-Star. Yep. So and the, the funny thing is with the Bolsa Citadel in this deck, once you hit a Mayhem Devil, it just 20s your opponent once you activate it because all of the things are sacrificed. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I mean, yeah. pretty disgusting. I've also, yeah. like, sometimes I'll beat the teamer decks because basically, like, I've played a lot of Black, Red, Sack, or Juncat. It's kind of like you build up a battlefield, and if they don't get, like, a timely enough... Ex like, basically, it's hard to actually deal 20 damage with Explosion. So if you get their life kind of low, like, let's say they don't have a quick Scorching Dragon Fire and you play, like, a couple quick threats out, and their life gets kind of low, it can be kind of hard for them to clean up the battlefield and not die to all your ping triggers and actually kill mm -hmm. you. So that that's why I think you have some fighting chance. But yeah, it's definitely true that if, you know, you yep. just play Reclamation, especially if you grow Spiral it out, it's pretty hard to interact with that, especially in Game 1. Though uh, in Game 2 and Game 3, you have some options. And Routing Registrar is pretty... I mean, it might be bad. It's kind of like, you know, not a... The most consistent plan, but it's kind of funny to me that you can play that turn two with Gilding Goose. I don't know why. Right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so those are the top two decks. I think after that becomes a lot less clear, although the third deck from my data is Mono Red Aggro was the third best performing deck with 15 pilots. Now, to be clear, I think there are two red decks by this point, and I don't know if you've experienced this yourself, Daniel. Yeah, there's the if you mean the cavalcade one. Yeah, exactly. And then there's and the, the bigger red deck. And um, I think the advantage of registering red is that you're actually favored versus teamer wreck. Um, but the disadvantage is, it, it, especially if you play cavalcade red, all your creatures are one ones. You know what's good versus one ones? Mayhem Devil. Yeah, I also you're not that good against Rec, because in my experience playing Rec last standard, I, I found like playing against the red deck, well, that's because I was playing more Storm's Rats, I guess it's way different without Storm's exactly, Rats now. Exactly, yeah. But I found like, Uro was pretty effective, like if you just remove a couple of key creatures and play Uro, like you can kind of take the beats from the small guys, just make sure they don't get a big payoff, and Uro does a lot of heavy lifting in that matchup. But obviously, that's because last format I was playing more Storm's Rats, now people are playing less of the Rats, and the Rats is really good, because these red decks are not like burn decks, they're more like mono-white decks, where they exactly. win by having yep. a... They have a big battlefield presence, so that's why Rats are actually really good against them uh, in that way and, and stuff like this. Yeah, on our contrary to, like, this red deck is basically a white weenie deck, except instead of playing white, it plays red. It has virtually yep. no burn, even though there's actually a three-mana four-damage burn spell in standard, just no one plays it because it's just not good enough. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like Charm kind of deal, or, like, even... Well, no. It, it, it requires you to pay triple red. But since your deck is mono red, it will always just deal four for three mana. It's just the target problem is, target. yeah, the, the the decks just can't fit it in because it's not good enough in their deck. That's kind of like crazy. two mana one, the heart fire, which it's like two mana deal four, but you sack a permanent. People play it in the uh, cav lower to the ground cavalcade version. Yep. It, that's but closer like, to I would say that the Hyper Iagra deck seems like it'd be really good against Reclamation just because it might be able to get under the deck if they stumble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. obviously, like, yep. it's a coin toss if your opponent finds Uro or yep. not, but that that kind of makes sense to me that, yeah. uh, like, you could spin it both ways. Like, it's either favorable or not favorable, depending on... Well, uh, again, Yeah, go ahead. I'd say what seems powerful to me about the, especially the low to the ground version, is that the, the castle, the red castle, it's kind of like a glorious handsome, uh, especially... Like, in a way, like, plus one power wow. to all your creatures. I mean, it's not really Glorious Ansem, but especially if you go wide, it's a pretty powerful effect to have on a land. It's kind of like a spell. It's mm -hmm. kind of like a Glorious Ansem on a land. Like, you're kind of getting a payoff from your mana. So, like, let's say you play, like, a ton of one drops. 
uh, yeah. or a ton of you go super wide, and now you have a castle that gives plus one power to all your creatures. It's kind of a, your payoff spell is in your land. Like that's pretty powerful in my opinion. The main yep, problem, of course, is that Mayhem Devil uh, exists, which uh, that's also one thing I would say about the standard. It's like kind of stuck between Elspeth's Conquers Us and Mayhem Devil. So if you try and go low to the ground, you get Mayhem Devil punishes yep. you. If you try and play expensive spells, then El- Teferi and Elspeth's Death uh, car- uh, punishes you. Interesting. And so, like, if you guys, like, I mean, oh man, in, in this sort of like trifecta, like, it seems like the way you guys are saying it is that like Team of Reclamation wins if they draw well. Um, but I don't know if that's like the average case scenario. Yeah. Well, also, I would say there's another deck, a big deck, which yeah. is Bant, or Blue White Control. Well, uh, or Bant. Was, Usually it's Bant. Yeah. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. To, to yeah. clarify, Red's overall win percentage in this tournament with 15 pilots was 56.1%, which is also pretty good. And I suspect part of that is what's going on there, is a lot of the rec pilots don't mulligan aggressively enough versus Red. So I don't think you mm. can keep slow hands whatsoever in that matchup. I think that's just off the table. And the other yeah. thing is... I think if the Bant decks don't draw... The Bant deck and the Teamer deck versus Red have the same issue. You need to just do things fast enough to compete with their good draws, is what I'm going to say. Um, there are two separate Bant decks listed in this write-up. I'll, I'll go over it real quick. Bant 60 cards, 22 pilots, 49% win rate. Not very good. Bant Yorion, 7 pilots, not a, not a huge sample. 52.1% win rate. And I think that's kind of interesting because that would imply that the Yorion drawback is not a big deal for the deck. But also yeah. the small N. Small N is, you know, obviously an issue here. Right, 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 yeah. Well, I would say that uh, one thing is that the cat decks can be in a position to be pretty good against the band decks, but the band decks... That's kind of, I saw one list that went 5-2 in the showcase that looked like it was pretty good against Bant, uh, that it could potentially be good against Cat because it had four Acer Gust main, it was pretty focused, right. uh, and in the sideboard it had four, like, kind of disenchant. It had two Heliod's Intervention, which is, like, an X-Spell disenchant, it had two Net of Autumns, and it seemed, like, pretty low to the ground, yep. and it was a 60-card deck, and it seemed like that could potentially actually be decent against the Cat decks. It seemed like it had decent tools against the Cat decks, mm-hmm. because the problem is it's kind of like a belief that the Cat decks can be decent against these kind of blue-white control decks, because they have access to Trail of Crumbs, which is a pretty powerful engine, and because uh, mm-hmm. stuff like stuff like that and Cat Oven can be hard to interact with. But the thing is, it's not like you always have your Trail of Crumbs going. The Cat deck, like, you can... You're not always going to have everything go perfectly, you know? Right. Um, so... Yeah, that, that's definitely a bit surprising. That was, because Bant's kind of like what a lot of people say is one of the best decks. Like, if you follow Standard on Twitter, a lot of people say Bant's a, a great deck. And, yeah, I'm going to try. I saw an interesting Bant list that had, like, the, it was by, let me see the name on, Goldfish, uh, and that looked like it was actually tuned to be good versus the Cat decks, because that's what I would say. Like, I don't know if all the Bant lists were, like, kind of knew how to be built in a way to be able to uh, do well against the cat decks. I don't even know right. if, if this one is, but so I'm interested to try that and see how it works in reality. Yeah, it was by Elad3127, and it was just like, so it's kind of interesting, but, and also there's blue white control, it's kind of interesting because they have cards like Dream Trawler, uh, which is kind of an interesting tool against the creature decks, but it's kind of like hard to analyze like the effect of playing counter spells because right. there's a lot of downsides and a lot of upsides to playing counter spells. It's kind of hard to, to analyze that. Like when you play a lot of reactive cards, there's kind of some downsides and some upsides. That's kind of what's appealing about the cat decks to me is that they're kind of all threats. But there's a lot of also uh, appealing stuff in the blue-white control and the bank control decks. And some people like Saltai and Esper too. Yeah, that's interesting. 
Um, so let me ask you guys this question then, which is like a lot of. So I'm just gonna like sort of like change topics a little bit here. This pro, this PT is also being run a little bit differently, right? Because it's online. What's yep. different from this PT and like you know just like a regular paper PT? Just from my own curiosity. So I think there's a few different things. First off, it's being run through CFB on their Discord. Uh, is uh -huh. the first thing. Second, people are allowed to stream it, but Watsi also made it very clear that A, if you get outside assistance or if you ghost someone, there's a very good chance action will be taken against you. And mm. so I, I know I said that Watsi encouraged people to stream it, but they said they wanted people to stream it on a delay so you can't get like outside assistance from Twitch chat or whatever. Okay. Do you think two minutes is... Oh, you were explaining, Daniel, that two yeah. minutes should be enough because of the rope mechanic or whatever? Exactly. Oh, actually, I'm, here's one thing that I was going to say that I'm going to try and ask Watsi this week is... So I understand that the rope... So on Arena, I realize you have a chess clock that's like half yep. an hour, so like 30 minutes, but they they just have the rope. I would imagine it's just because they want the game to be enjoyable to exactly. players because they don't like yep. slow play. But I was just going to ask, like, can we for the PT remove the rope? Because here's the thing I found in my testing. Whenever I went into tank, this rope would come out and now it's <laughs> making random plays. So I'm going to try and I, ask Watsi. I don't think they're going to change the it. The PT. I don't think they're going to yeah. change it, Daniel. Yeah, but I just feel like I feel like the the reason the rope exists it's because of the public games. So I don't know if it if it should exist at the PT, but I doubt that they would do anything. But I'm always gonna you know try to ask because to me like I don't understand. I feel like at the PT, you know, maybe we could consider not using the rope, but maybe I don't know. I think by this point it's pretty clear that they're not going to do that because all of the tournaments they've run so far haven't done that. And the other thing is like think about worlds and those other. Like the mythic invitational and stuff like that, they didn't turn off the rope. And I think part of that is is it is a better watching experience if someone doesn't spend five minutes thinking about what they're going to do, right? Yeah, I know. I agree. Like as someone who doesn't really understand standard, I I understand that the players will be thinking about complex like algorithms and logarithms and what whatever rhythms and don't, like bro, don't me, do like, that. Come on, my 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 peasant brain, my my pea brain is just not capable of like sitting through all of that thinking time. So I'm just like, I want to see the lights. I want to see the action. It's kind of just like interesting. You want to see that Ember Cleave? You want to see that Ember Cleave that Javier casts for lethal damage, right? There we go. That's what I'm talking about. The fire. The I, fire. Uh, it is interesting to me, though, because that is, to me, like, that's not magic. You know what I mean? It feels like a different game. And I don't I've, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, it is it is what it is. Yeah. And, I, and it, it does make it for a better esports experience. But just I get that thing in the back of my head where I'm yeah. just like, it's not magic. You know I've, what I mean? I've actually had this discussion quite a few times. Arena is Magic dressed up as a video game. Magic Online is a digital implementation of Magic as a card game. Yeah. Interesting. And I feel like the market is there for the first thing, for the video game, and not yeah. Yeah, necessarily there for that's the... That's why I sort of realized that, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. It will like there's just more money to be made on Arena than Magic Online, because Magic Online doesn't appeal to you know a newer, wider audience. But, yeah, I, I guess I'd probably keep it because of the coverage. But, yeah... The rope uh, kind of makes it tense for players. Like I would say, like as a, if you are a pl like maybe it's better for viewers, but for players it feels a bit like you know what I mean. It's kind of puts you under duress because you kind of want to make the right play, so you get kind of stressed out when you have this rope coming out. I know there's lots of discussions about slow play and stuff. Some players they feel like people should have to make decisions. Plus, some players they like to take their time, like Nasif. 
And yeah, <laughs> I, I just remember that because there's one PT match uh, where Nassif gets called out for slow play and the judges come around him and he says, I'm playing Infect. My match is going to take five minutes. Can I, ple- can I please, uh, my, no, my game's going to be two turns. Can I please have time to think? And then he gets a slow play warning and he says, back off. I need to think. It's a pretty funny match. For anyone interested, it's the return to Ravnica against Ari Lax. Yep, I, Ari have told, has told me that story from the other side. And yeah, that was no, a, it's a, it was a good. It was, I would, and I would say, as a viewer, that was an entertaining experience. You forgot to mention what deck Nasif was playing. Nasif was playing Affinity. Wait, that could get really complicated, though, it right? Can, Especially but, in the first. Few- but the point is, slow play needs to be applied fairly, right? Yeah, yeah. I think for me, the timeless example was like in Legacy, somebody's playing Storm and they need like five minutes to like think about. Can you imagine playing Storm with the MTG Arena rope? That's basically that what playing like, Reclamation is like. Oh my god. That must be stressful because you have to like click your mana, tap 10 lands, no, just the only thing about the road uh, too. On Rock, they introduced a shortcut that lets you photo of your mana. Okay. And yeah, incidentally, nice. I guess they're thinking about these things. No, though. yeah. Incidentally, you just hit QQ <laughs> to photo all your mana. QQ. Good. Nice. Yeah. I like but here's that. the thing about the rope that's kind of uh, makes it difficult. In a way, is it doesn't the rope doesn't stop when you start clicking uh, clicking buttons. It only stops when you actually cast a spell. So you can get roped out in the middle of casting a spell. So if you're trying to like cast an X spell and the rope comes out and then you like kind of miss tap or you're counting your X mana, that's what oh, that's no. kind of, so so like it doesn't stop when you start clicking. So you have to like resolve your spell on time so you can rope while you're casting your spell, which is kind of a not the so best the, experience. Like, what for happens? The does the spell get cast, or does it get cast for like a less smaller X, or like you? I think it's just like pass his priority. Well, the only t- I got roped one time when I was testing against Omar, and it just skipped to his turn. So wow, that's got oh my roped God. like a noob. Got to get like, that you're kind of your APM. X. You're trying to be like, okay, how much am I casting X? You see the rope come out, and you're like, okay, I can cast this, and you start counting your lands. And you're like, okay, yep. pay X, and then you like select targets, you select them, and I'm like, oh, the rope hits and it passes, and you're like, no. Oh man. So like what you guys can also it's not like all the whole PT is happening on one day, right? Like it's spread right. up into multiple Do you There's guys four of them? Four of them? Do you guys uh like know when you're playing what you're playing or like is that public information or how does that work? Well, you so the cutoff for registering for one of those tournaments is the day before, like uh twenty four hours before. But you can always uh change your mind and resubmit to a later date, but you can't get into an like, if you decide, like, some Saturday morning that you want to play it, I don't think they'll let you in, essentially. Um, oh, okay. My personal plan currently is to play this one Saturday at uh, 12 Eastern, aka 9 a.m. Pacific. Mm-hmm. Wait, is it this weekend? Yeah. Okay. Is that the first one? That is the first one, yeah. Okay, but the, and there are four of them, right? Yeah. They're, they're at, like, really differing times like one of them's at oh. like 6 a.m uh pacific or something like that on some day and one of them i think is at like 3 a.m pacific on a different day or something like that probably to cater to the rest of the world it, too, exactly right? yeah it's is if everything was american centric imagine mm. how miserable it is for all of the like asia people you know like because yeah, yeah. there's like a 12 hour difference you know okay but uh Jarvis, did, did you know that uh so yeah there's a bit of debate in my testing team between omar and david rude because omar was saying that so basically what happened is it was people were debating which week to play basically what happened is so the second week there is yeah oh, jarvis is shaking his head there there's like yeah. a i think there's a mythic points thing which means that a lot of like rivals players are going to be gone 
are going to be playing the first week because the second week they have to do this arena thing. So I was kind of tempted to play the second week to dodge all these uh, Isaacs because Isaac's like, oh, I, I have to. I was like, Isaac, which week are you playing? Because he always has the best decisions. And he said, oh, I have to play the first week because there's a mythic thing the second week. So some, some light bulbs started popping in my head, some sinister plans. But then there's some there's also some other stuff going on because for example I was like well also maybe the second week it'll be less buggy if it's buggy the first week or like they'll fix stuff but then Omar said no I want to play the first week because nobody's gonna be able to copy paste decks so everybody all the lists are gonna yeah. be untuned and I'm gonna exactly. have my great yep. my great deck and it's gonna work well because of that and then some people were saying like oh it's gonna be like the second week like, so there's a lot of pros and cons each I'm not sure what I'll play it basically it's just gonna depend how good I feel about my deck on Friday so, but for what's yeah. worth. People had the same decision for the uh, last paper RPT because if you were qualified, you could just go to Asia if you wanted. You could just go to Europe if you wanted. I just chose to go to the US one even though it was afterwards because it's just a lot cheaper to go there. Honestly, mm -hmm. I think people worry a little bit too much about that stuff. And I, I think it's just kind of, it doesn't really matter as long as you, as long as you're ready to play on that day, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I wouldn't say it's something that I was stressing out about. It's kind of funny. No, I, I know. I know. I'm just saying I that yeah. people do think about this stuff, and I think it just kind of doesn't matter that much, honestly. Yeah, it reminded me of when there was the team RPTs, and we were deciding who to put in what seat. And we're like, well, the aggro player is always going to be in the middle of no, seat because it's the fastest. <laughs> and I remember I played my team RPT, and I played blue-black mid-range, and we put me in the middle seat. The actual reason was because I played the most standard so I could talk to my teammates. And I remember I played literally mirrors like every, like I think out of five out of seven rounds, I played mirror matches. Yeah. So, and it was kind of funny. Like all the blue-black players were in the middle of seat, and I guess they kind of decided mono-red would normally go in the middle. And it was just so funny. And I, I yeah. So, that was Thanks. interesting. I'll, yeah, that, that, the team RPT was funny also because you couldn't share cards. And I remembered that I was greedy I and I wanted to play black red and I, wa I wanted all the good cards. So I basically said, I'm going to play. I said, this blue black deck is so busted. I'm just going to put bad cards in my deck. So I was playing Kite Self Freebooter over Duress and I had like Spell Pierce <laughs> over Negate. So I had bl wow. blue white control and black red, uh, black red aggro. And I was playing blue black and I was like, this, I don't need, I'll just play, you know, all bad cards. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Cool. Do we have anything else to talk about? Because I think we are wrapping up on this topic and probably Aww. on this this uh, episode of the, the cast. We don't get to talk oh, about those sweet, more. sweet cards. All right, we'll, we'll save it for Bob. 20 spoilers week. if you wanted to add, talk about those. Yeah, we may have to do that in the next episode um, where we take a look at the uh, the M21 spoilers, but there are... We could, like, really briefly look over them. Are there anything... Is there anything interesting for you, like... That you particular that stands out to you. We might not be able to talk about them, but like, uh, what stands out to you guys? All right, I'll can I? I'll just go through a quick list. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, containment priest for modern pioneer standard, great. Teferi master of time, interesting. Pure into abyss, maybe ad nauseum in legacy. Uh, Grim tutor reprint, I think, is pretty funny, but I don't expect it to be very good actually. And see the truth, a card near and dear to your heart. Very good with Snapcaster Mage. Wait, yeah. is See the Truth a reprint? No, that's a new card. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the one card that I'm ecstatic about. Yeah, the, the main card that stood out to me is the Village Ritual. I mean, I also these cards stood out to me too, but it's like one black... Uh, uh, it's a one black instant and it says sacrifice a creature I think as an additional cost draw two cards so that can be kind of interesting people were talking about it in modern dredge and hogak the power crept like altars reap is that what it is yes 
Exactly. Yeah, nice. you can call it that. So that, and yeah, all the stuff that Jarvis mentioned, it'll be interesting to see, see the truth. Cause this is the kind of card where you could imagine it being good and becoming a staple and see a lot of play. It's also the kind of card you could imagine nobody playing. So it's kind of interesting. Like there's a lot exactly. of times you see these cards where you're like, this is either going to, this is likely going to be a card that's going to see a lot of play or it's going to be a card that's not going to see a lot of play. It's going to be kind of interesting, you know, to, to look at. Maybe I'll, yeah. So, and all these other cards look pretty interesting too. So yeah. Yeah. I'm excited Definitely about more the... playables than I expected. This set was more more powerful, I think, than most core sets, I would say, so far, it looks like. Oh, yeah, definitely, dude. Look at this stuff. I don't know. Like, some of these cards seem pretty ridiculous. There was also... You, you mentioned Chandra's Incinerator. I did. I it That's a weird card, because obviously it is good with burn spells, but also, like, if you don't have a burn spell, it's not a very good card. <laughs> This is true. I like the artwork on this card. There's like yeah, this nice like, thin layer of fire yeah. on the bottom of the frame, which looks really cool. Yeah. Though if you compare this to M20 last year, M20 was actually kind of crazy powerful. I mean, it had two cards banned in stand, or one card at least. It had Field of the Dead. It had Golos, which he's playing Vintage. Yep. It had Veil of Summer. It had Elvish Reclaimer. Uh, yep. It had probably more stuff that I'm forgetting about. Oh, it had Sorin. The Blood Lord, which was like insane and standard, and so it sees Pioneer play sometimes. Wait, so the last M twenty was kind of crazy. Oh yes, Torin, Torin. Uh Was Mystic Forge an M twenty? It was. That card got restricted in Vintage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Mister's Workshop, nice. It's go we've gone a long way from M fourteen, oh which my was one of the first core set I remember. Yeah. <sighs> nice. All right. Well, thanks. Th I guess we'll wrap it up there then for the day. Yep. Um, I want to say. Jarvis, thank you so much for joining us. That's at JKU06 on Twitter. Please follow him also at twitch.tv slash JarvisU. You can find more of Jarvis there, and I know you guys enjoyed this episode, so that's awesome. And Are then you obviously the PT Jarvis? Oh, sorry to interrupt the uh, I, outro. I don't think so. I, I think yeah, I, 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 I get distracted <laughs> enough as it is. And also, if I just like randomly fall afoul of the rules for outside assistance and get DQ'd, I just couldn't stand it. That would be yeah, just, Streaming this thing sounds like very stressful. Um, I definitely won't be doing it. Also, arena's kind of uh, intense exactly. to run. I don't know. So you don't. I, I don't want to stress out my computer. And Anurag, one other thing, you owe me. You owe me some milkshakes, buddy. <laughs> Wait, what? What happened? <laughs> and that's all. Folks. That's all. Folks. Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, but on that note, follow us on, on Twitter at the, at Elo Punters. Daniel is at Gooey Ducat. I am at MTG. We're going to wrap it up for this one, guys. We'll see you for episode 12 in two weeks. Bye. Bye.